Hello and welcome to UX Soup, a short form podcast that looks beyond the buzzwords to give you the latest developments impacting the user experience of personal devices and services in the home, in the car, and on the go. As always, UX Soup is presented by Strategy Analytics, a global research and consulting firm providing our clients with insights, analysis, and expertise. I'm Chris Schreiner, and I'm joined today by my co-host Diana Franganilo. Diana, hello. Hello, how are you? I'm doing well, doing well. So UX professionals in the automotive space or anyone that's been in a car dealership lately, uh, they know very well that more and more cars are being fitted with advanced driver assistance systems or ADAS systems like adaptive cruise control, lane keeping, both of which when combined provide the basis for limited self-driving capabilities like GM Super Cruise or Tesla's Autopilot. But for new users, as we've discussed before on this podcast, understanding what these systems are, what they can and can't do, which is influenced by how they're marketed, and what all the various new icons and alerts mean are, are big issues. And these systems can also be ripe for misuse. One person who's been at the center of this topic for many years now is Dr. Brian Reamer from MIT, and we are delighted to have him with us today. Brian is a research scientist in the MIT Center for Transportation and Logistics. He is part of the MIT Age Lab, and is the Associate Director of the New England University Transportation Center at MIT. Brian, thank you very much for joining us today, and welcome to UX Soup. Chris, Diana, thank you very much for having me. All right, so let's start. Brian, just if you wanted to give, I, I had a bit of an intro, but there's a lot more that you could talk about the kind of work that you're doing. So can you give us a bit of background? So, Chris, I've been working in the area of auto safety and UX design and automation for, you know, best part of 20 years now, various topics in here. In the early part of my career, it was probably heavily dominated by driver distraction and some of the early work on how um, cell phone conversations began to impact the intentional strategy of drivers back when, you know, picking up the cell phone was something new. We moved on to spending an enormous amount of time focused on the intricacies of UX design and supporting some of the OEMs out there globally and, and having some real design wins and helping you know, companies like Toyota move the UX design of their experience in the U.S. marketplace forward um, as it relates to voice systems and multimodal interfaces in the vehicle. Over the last six or seven years, a lot of our focus, as you know, has shifted to the Advanced Vehicle Technologies Consortium, which I co-founded six years ago this month, as a collaborative academic industry partnership charged with helping move forward the state of understanding of how drivers are leveraging production-level automation and assistance technology, as well as all the smartphones and everything else we do in the in real roads today. So how are we using all this technology that is being designed and developed? And the premise around this consortium was that we knew several years ago, based on some work we did with the AAA Foundation for Traffic Safety, that there was a real disconnect between how we design and the focus on safety and the design of technologies and what actually occurred in real life. So you know, to bring this back to home, we can think about lane departure warning technologies as an illustrated technology where, you know, the safety community said this is going to be breakthrough in safety. Five years later, the data says, well, it's really nebulous. Analog braking systems were thought to be a major safety breakthrough. It wasn't until we added electronic stability control that we really began to saw significant safety benefits. 
And as we've we've noodled into this topic over the last several years, we begin to understand much more cohesively that you know there is a disconnect between the specifications in which engineers design and the utilization of that technology in the real world. And you highlighted some of this in your introduction, but but long and short of it, the mental model of the design team doesn't necessarily overlap with the mental model of the user. And only by understanding that disconnect as an industry together can different OEMs, tier ones, other technology players begin to ensure they're designing cohesively. So, you know, when we think about one of the leaders in partial automated driving today, Tesla with autopilot, Tesla is doing around design marketing and technology deployment is impacting the entire industry. Similarly speaking, what some of the OEMs are doing here, and you mentioned your open you know, GM Super Cruise, which I think is an incredibly important hands-free driving feature with upward potential, and we see that in some systems that are coming quickly, that's imparting a different philosophy in the market. Well, these cars have to drive next to each other. They have to have use policies that drive in the same road. They're going to have to interact with higher order AVs. And most importantly, they have to work with us, the human who is responsible for overseeing and managing and interacting with this automation at any point in time. When we look at the real-world data as we are part of AVT, and there's, and there's a couple of really recent publications begin to talk about a lot of this, we see that automation is already reshaping how we live and move and how we drive. The attentional focus of drivers has changed. In, in a recent paper that came out earlier this month, 22% of the glances away from the road with autopilot are over two seconds long. In all of the foundational traditional design efforts, two seconds was a long off-road glance. Yeah. Now, what are people doing? They're picking up their smartphones, doing a lot of more convenient, comfortable things they want to be doing while they're driving, but they're sacrificing some of the foundations. That the safety affairs part of an OEM organization, the safety affairs part of an organization approved and pushed forward the marketing the technology by. At the same time, we have an alphabet soup, what we call this stuff. We're not talking the same language. Yeah. The designers are talking past the engineers. The consumer is thinking a whole bunch different. So the key here to me in being involved and working at this point with about 20 different automotive stakeholders between OEMs, tier one suppliers, insurers, big technology companies, and some of the key safety advocates and safety researchers globally is that we have created a complexity here that is beyond one organization. We need to work together and we need to be using real world data to a greater degree to define how we empirically study this technology, study the applications of this technology beyond where we, where we did just a few years ago. Mm -hmm. To give you a flavor here, you know, a lot of the early work on automation, partial automation systems in the car is focused on the fact that the driver would turn the automation on when they get on the highway, turn it off when they get off, and that the system you know, would occasionally call upon the human for help. All of the real world data says that is no longer really a good assumption. The best assumption is, is people collaborate with the automation, turning it on and off based upon different occurrences of the roadway, being proactive in management of situations quite frequently, maybe not 100% of the time, as we've seen in many of the crashes that Tesla has dominated the news, but by and large, the vast majority of the time, the driver is being proactive in ways that the designers just didn't assume. So as we look forward here, it's imperative whether we're building smartphone applications for the car or building new interfaces, we begin to look at how consumers are dividing their attention in the real world and use that real world data to hone our assumptions, 
work together as an industry more effectively so that what the smartphone designers are putting in the car is, is really represented on the OEM side and how they're trying to manage tension in the cohesive framework, and then move that over to the regulatory side and get regulatory support very much where the industry needs it in times and where we need to move safety. And, and I'll leave it with talking about that in a TEDx talk I gave you know, about three years ago, really calling for the need for public-private partnerships and defining some of our pathways forward here. We need the public sector to begin to take an active role with the private sector mm -hmm. in setting the regulatory frameworks forward so that we can develop these complex systems, we can deploy them in a much more robust framework moving forward. Quite frankly, we just need to be moving in the same direction. Not so sure which lane of the 14-lane highway we need to be in, moving <laughs> in the same direction, ensuring we're not bouncing off each other. Right. So that's a long-winded introduction for you there. <laughs> I'll turn it over to some of the questions well, you have. There's a lot to unpack in there. And I wanted to kind of start with where, from a, a new user perspective, someone that is trading in their you know 2006 car and, and getting a new vehicle, and their first experience with some of these advanced vehicle technologies is either through the dealership or through before visiting the dealership in terms of the, the marketing elements. And you touched on it there that the designers and the marketing department and the dealer and the end user might all have different mental models about all of these. And I know you've done work on this. And I'm sitting here laughing because not only do they have different mental models, they confuse each other's mental models. So I'm going to first call upon, you know, there's an effort led by Consumer Reports supported by a number of different organizations out there, including NITS, uh, called Clearing the Confusion, trying to come up with semi-ubiquitous names for these technologies and say, that, look, we need to call vanilla what it is and, and call strawberry what it is here and not trying to confuse this from different OEMs and different marketing approaches. And I, I'm going to really sit here and say the first and foremost, most important thing is we, we clear the confusion on the naming convention globally. While there is no perfect and every marketing department wants to you know, put their own brand spend on things, the consumer cannot differentiate this. And we at least need to be trying to talk in the same ballpark. So when we talk about auto brake, we talk about automatic emergency braking, each of these has a different connotation. Both names have value, but let's just set one and make some decisions and move forward. Okay, now, I think that calls upon the industry to begin to decide that, hey, we need to embrace this and move forward. There's been a lot of non-governmental and some governmental pressure, but I think it's really important that the consumer gets a base case of what this is. That doesn't mean you can't put a brand name on top. But autopilot is an assistive driving technology. Super Cruise is an assistive driving technology, not trying to let the brand necessarily exist or feature name exist independently. Now, with that said, I think one of my most frustrating parts in life is actually at the dealership. And as you know, we did some mystery shopping work that was in the transportation research record several years ago. And unfortunately, I don't think the world has gotten any better. Um, personal experience in the last two years walking in and buying new cars, and literally as an auto safety expert with incredible background in active safety and automation technology, trying to decipher out of a salesperson what is on the car I'm looking for is a laughing stock. I'm literally going back and emailing friends within the auto industry and in senior positions. Does the car I'm looking for have auto brake? That is just atrocious that a dealer <laughs> cannot provide the basic information. While I've been quite vocal with the right to repair laws in, in Massachusetts, I think the dealer model that exists today is problematic if we want to move to a safe and ubiquitous 
know, automation supported future. The dealers need to be much more transparent, educated, or need to be moved aside and moved to an online model that is dictated by the manufacturer, where the manufacturer assumes the responsibility for dealer touch. Yep. Now, while the dealer franchises might be quite mad at me for talking about this, but I've been into, involved in too many repair issues personally and too many consulting me on a vehicle purchase to say that the model that we exist today is broken and needs to be fixed. So if we look at Tesla's model, it's not perfect. I think there's a whole nother set of problem, issues there. But Tesla is assuming the communication responsibility of the consumer. And you know, I don't think they're doing a wholehearted job to that. And I think there's a lot of reasons that the GM, Ford, Toyota, and others don't want to. But at the end of the day, we need a very clear message on what is in this car, what does it do, and I am able to find that information robustly. Yeah, we've done a lot no. of that secret shopper research too. And you know, the dealers, they all have their different levels of capabilities and they're trying to sell vehicles based on the number of cup holders that they have. And the, the training they get from the OEMs is in you know, a YouTube marketing video. Broken. This comes back to me in one technology. If there's one technology that no one should be buying a car without, it's auto brake. And if the dealer cannot tell me whether this car has auto brake and what the capabilities of that auto brake is, we are doing a disservice to safety at a point that I can no longer really comment. And the reason I say that is you're an older consumer, a younger consumer, or a midlife, auto brake is a technology that I think many of us believe has the most important mitigation potential to any technology out there today. So why can't I find out what are the capabilities of this auto brake? Because safety is important to me. I'd rather buy car A than car B because you know, auto brake and car A is something that I understand that's most likely to adapt to my driving style. And look, each manufacturer may be producing a vehicle that is aiming to target a different style. You know, some cars are, are better in zero to 25 auto brake scenarios because, quite frankly, some people drive mostly in the city. Other people, on the other hand, are well, highway drivers. And I'm looking for a feature that may be tuned that way. And as an engineer, I understand that the system designers here in a very complex design space need to tune these systems differently because the technology is not ubiquitous at this point. Cost sensing capabilities, computational capabilities, all are limiting factors. So how do we weigh these together? In some case, there's a reason preference for car A may be different than preference for car B. And finally, when you get to the consumer, on the other hand, you get in this car, we need to build trust. Trust is the coveted commodity in auto safety, usability, et cetera. Trust is built over time and eroded very quickly. As my friends at Vianeer would say, trusted mobility is the core framework here, is we need to ensure we are building trust in the system, that over time we learn how the system behaves, we can trust that it's going to be there, do the things it's supposed to do, but we also need to trust that we have the skills to interact with it and we are interacting with it in a responsible way. And that's why you see you know, you know, some of my writings out there and my forms of post calling for a driver state monitoring, you know, driver monitoring system deployment, ubiquitous movement in that direction, especially with the level two automated systems. We need to ensure the driver is fulfilling their monitoring role, there to back up the automation, there to interact with the driving systems and not beginning to misuse technologies as we as humans are really good at. We're really good at finding holes in the technology, extracting the value from them because at the end of the day, look, I want a more comfortable, more convenient driving experience. And while safety may be important, on the purchase, maybe important on the large scale of things, moment to moment, I don't experience events that drive me to be thinking about safety. But I do have the phone ringing, the text message coming through, 
and my social emotional desire for connectivity pulling me back to that phone or the fact that most of driving is just absolutely boring. So the reality is I'm trying to find something else to do. It wasn't boring a decade ago before the age of power steering required two hands in the wheel to tug on it. Most people forget about the fact that automatic transmissions, automated shifting transmissions, automation that's finest, freeing the hand and mind to do other things. Well, what did we do? We started talking on the phone. We started texting. If it wasn't for automatic transmissions, automation at its finest, we'd still need to have a foot on the clutch at times and a hand on the shift lever. Yep. You know, really hard to text and shift at the same mm -hmm. time. So we forget about what we're doing is just accelerating the past. I am highly supportive of that, but we need to understand how the human fits together with the vehicle technologies and works together with the infrastructure forward. And naturalistic data is a really key tool in helping sharpen where we need to be looking for more empirical research efforts. Humans don't behave how we'd expect. We are predictably irrational. Brian, talking about naturalistic data, could you share some highlights of the results that you have got? Could you span a little bit on that and tell us what you have found in terms of what people do as they are using automation in their vehicles? So, Diana, that's a good question. And I'll talk really anecdotally for a you know, the hundreds of thousands of miles of video that I, you know, and the team at MIT, you know, have really perused through at this point. It's, it's very hard because it is lots of end of one situations here. And beginning to cluster those in, into different behavioral categories is a whole ongoing area of research. But I think what's most important to take from the naturalistic data is that our design assumptions sometimes do follow through to the real world. But many instances, our design assumptions are defeated by a human that does not have the same model as the design team, or a human that has found a different approach than was perceived, or a human that is misusing the technology in ways that we didn't expect. You know, so I'll, I'll speak back to GM Supercruise for a moment, which I think is really the most important innovation in assisted driving here to date and by far the strongest level two feature on the road today. And I think there's a couple fast followers coming in the marketplace. But if we look at GM Supercruise, it has a really innovative driver monitoring and driver support system in it. And, and GM did some exceptional work based upon, you know, head movement modeling in early stage production, real world driver state management systems. And the work was, primary work done was done here well over five years ago. But we see instances where GM is actively trying to encourage attention to the road, you know, trying to get the driver to look up as they're using the automation because the driver is backing up the automation. But we even see instances where you know, the driver is still trying to thread their text message in there. I am hugely supportive that, that GM did all their homework really well in developing the system. But very quickly, one can see is how do you evolve from that to develop a better managed mousetrap for managing attention forward, given how far we've come in eye tracking technology and cars in the last five or 10 years. And once you begin to see this, it says, okay, I don't want to put the driver in a box that does not allow them to benefit from the technology, but I can begin to very quickly to think about some heuristics that significantly augment and improve the model that, that the design team was really looking for. In other instances, and I think one of my pet peeves here is really the torque wheel-based sensing systems with automation, is that we're relying on a torque sensor because we believe that if a hand is on the wheel and shoving the wheel, the driver was attentive to the driving task and engaged. 
but I, I've seen enough videos and enough different vehicles at this point to realize that drivers are tugging at the wheel and still looking down and focused on the phone or something else. You know, literally, you know, much like the dead man switch on a locomotive cab where the train engineers to stay awake were asked to, to hit the switch when the red light comes on all the time. Drivers are tugging at the wheel to satisfy the torque-based wheel sensing. And, and this is, again, you know, circling back to, to what I mentioned earlier in my intro, the reason that I believe strongly the industry needs to be embracing camera-based driver monitoring. We need to be supporting the driver more effectively at the point of decision. This isn't saying that I'm not willing to allow the driver to look off the road for a moment or two. It's just saying at the end of the day, anybody who's looking away from the road for X seconds and X, you know, the research could lead to be that being three, five, 10. We can debate that all with you know, questions of how automation is supporting the driver. But at some point, you got to draw a red line. And the policy nine side needs to help us support that. Because at the end of the day, OEM one can't draw a red line that's different than OEM two. Consumers are, are going to be very unaccepting and complaining if, if one OEM says five seconds is okay, another OEM says 10 seconds is okay, and another OEM isn't paying attention to this at all. And, and that's why I think the public sector needs to be working with the private sector and drawing some reasonable red lines on what is acceptable utilization of technology in cars. Because accidents, fatality numbers, in the nation's roads and across the globe in general are really at a point that I think, we, I think we're really dealing with an undertreated health crisis on our roads that needs to be managed, not through technology development, but many of the public health practices we've been talking about for the last year and a half of COVID. It is a public health problem, not a technology problem, not a driving safety problem. And we need to be looking at that through a public health lens. So that's all the time we have for part one of our talk with Dr. Brian Weimer from MIT. There's going to be a lot more next week on this topic. Uh, so definitely tune in then. In the meantime, if you have any questions about advanced safety systems, anything regarding the automotive user experience, or would like to send us any questions you may have, you can email us at uxsoup at strategyanalytics.com. The show notes on our podcast website, ux-soup.com, have links to Brian's work at MIT, his Advanced Vehicle Technology Consortium, as well as our recent research on advanced driver assistance systems. There you can also connect with each of us on LinkedIn. A reminder that UX Soup is sponsored, as always, by Strategy Analytics. Check out the latest user-focused insights in mobile, automotive, and the smart home by visiting strategyanalytics.com. Thanks for joining us. Bye for now.